listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good. You having a good Sunday so far? I heard a woo, so that's technically all I need to move on. Why is it so hard to make healthy decisions? Why is that such a hard thing, right? Like, it feels like it shouldn't be as hard as it is. I, I joined a gym this week, believe it or not. You're like, <laughs> my wife's like, yeah! Wow. That's very telling right there. <laughs> Uh, I joined I joined this gym and like I'm I'm starting to change the way I eat because I need to make some changes in my life. You know, it's something I've been needing to do for a long time, and I just had excuse after excuse after excuse, and I can still think of a few excuses if I really stop and think about it. But um, it's like, oh, you know what? I I can't change my diet now. It's almost Halloween, like. The house is going to be full of candy. Like, there's no way. You know, I can't do that now. You know, I'll, I'll just wait till ha- Halloween's over, and then I'll start to eat right. Okay, so Halloween is over, but now Christmas is coming, right? And, oh, man, dude, I love those peanut butter blossom cookies that Kim makes. And, man, uh, I don't want to miss out on those, so I better just start eating better and exercising after Christmas. Well, really after New Year's, right? Because you can't, you can't do, you can't start after Christmas. That's just crazy. And and that'll be my New Year's resolution and that'll be perfect, right? Well, I know I missed January and it's February now, but man, work is so stressful. And I mean, come on, Easter is practically here. Like, it's peep season, people. Come on. Like, uh, I kind of missed my window of opportunity there, right? Like, uh, and it just goes on and on and on. Can anybody relate to that struggle? It's just me. Okay, a few. Okay, thank you. Whoo, I was scared there. There were no hands for a second there. I was like, oh. Um, man, I don't understand why it's so hard, though. I really don't get why it's so hard. Cultivating positive change in our lives should be a no-brainer, right? It should be a no-brainer. And yet, it's so easy to put off and make excuses that sound logical in our heads, right? But if we were to just even say them out loud, we would realize how lame they are. They're so lame. Uh, Both my boys deal with hanger. Anybody know what hanger is? Anybody deal with hanger? Uh, I, I, I... like, it's, it's when you get so hungry that you become angry, like illogically angry. And, I mean, I guess I don't, I, I don't deal with it, so I don't know if it's illogical. But um, maybe the lack of food just enrages you. I don't know. But, but it's when you become so hangry, you, you, you just, you, you, it's when you become so hungry that you get angry rather. And, and, and that's where the word hangry comes from. And anyone deal with this in the house? Yes. I know, I know that one. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. 
they would, my boys would rather do anything in the world than what is going to make them feel better, which is eat, right? Which is crazy to me. They will lay on the floor all droopy and complain about every aspect of life, or the other one will just start illogically yelling at everyone, everyone or anyone who speaks to them with fireballs shooting out of their eyes. Like, I mean, it's like, it's like, oh, and you brush your teeth? No! You know, just like... Owen, did you have a good day at school today? Yes! You know, it just doesn't matter. It's like fireballs, right? And, and I, I, I mean, asking them to eat when they're hangry to them is basically asking them if they would like a vaccine shot right then. Like they just, it just like doesn't make, it, it does not compute to them. They're like, no, I don't want to eat. What makes you think I need to eat? You know? Like they they just get so upset and, and they won't even hear of it. But once Kim and I finally get through to them and force some chicken nuggets down their throat or something like that, all of a sudden they begin to feel better and they become a reasonable human being again. And, and all is right with the world again. And, and when they were in the midst of being so hungry, they don't see things clearly. They don't, it's not a thing that they see clearly. Like I, I'm, I'm angry, not hungry. Why would I, why would I want to eat? You know, but the, the hunger is what's causing the anger. Right. And, and so, um, like I know I would, I know I would feel better if I ate better and, and got some exercise, but I don't want to like, you know, like I don't, I just, that's the truth, you know, like that's like, it it, it makes logical sense in my head that I should eat better and I should exercise and that would be good for me. Right. But I, I I don't know why it is so hard. I, I think it's because what our natural inclination is the thing that we desire most, the feelings the, uh, what feels most natural to us in the moment isn't always what's best for us. It isn't always what's best for us. And so, so there's this, uh, this battle that takes place between what we know is good for us and right for us and what we desire and feels natural, right? There's this battle and we have to fight against the emotions and decisions that keep us from cultivating healthy change in our life, right? Because they're not good for us. Like the way I have to fight against eating ice cream for breakfast. Because y'all know chocolate moose tracks taste the best in the morning, right? Who's with me, right? Dad, can I have some ice cream? No, you can't have any ice cream. Like, got the spoon behind my back. (laughs) But this battle between what's good and right for us and what our our natural wants and desires are is very much a mental battle that ends up playing out in the physical. This is especially true for those who wrestle with anxiety and depression. And uh, if you missed last week, we began a new sermon series called It's Okay to Not Be Okay, Volume 2. And uh, we're, we're, we're breaking the silence that has plagued the church for so long on this topic of mental health. And, and there has been a stigma attached 
to this topic within the church. And we are saying that it is time for that stigma to die. It never should have had a foothold in the church in the first place. Because church is a place where hopefully, hopefully you are encouraged to get real. You are encouraged to get real with yourself, real with God, and real with others. But how are you supposed to do that if some subjects are taboo to talk about at church? Like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get that. That's why we decided years ago that whatever influence we had as a church, we were going to use to break the silence on mental health. And this is volume two. And of it's okay to not be okay. Um, and the topic of mental health isn't just something that you talk about once and, and then you're all fine and dandy. No, it's a mental health is, is something that a lot of people are struggling with daily, day in and day out. They're struggling with this. And the subject is huge. And, and in volume one, we just began to scratch the surface really and there's so much more to talk about, but you know what they say, um, how do you eat an elephant, right? One, one bite at a time, right? One bite at a time. So, so we decided to keep the conversation going with volume two. Um, Ricardo spoke last week, and can I just say that he's not here, so I, so I won't poke fun at him. I'll actually be nice right now, but um, can I just say that Ricardo is actually one of my favorite, favorite, favorite speakers. He, he has so much joy and passion when he speaks. And, and every time he speaks, it, it makes me just like feel like, oh, man, why do I even bother? Like, he's, dude, is so good. Like, he's so gifted. But, but Ricardo said in his message last week um, that to combat stigma, we have to deal with the misinformation about mental health. That has afflicted the church and, and, and look to the promises of God for clarity. Lots of people in the church want to make mental health a faith issue, which it's not. It's not a faith issue. There's, there's no correlation between how much faith you have and whatever your weakness is, whether it's mental health related or not. When, when the Apostle Paul begged for God to remove his weakness, the thing that he constantly struggled with, God said to him in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, or 2 Corinthians rather, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness. I doubt anyone would be brave enough to tell Paul, the dude who wrote a large portion of the New Testament, that he didn't have enough faith. I highly doubt that. Mental health is not a faith issue. The issue is truth. As in, do we know the truth? Because that is one of the simplest ways to begin to break the stigma attached to mental health. Can we grab onto the truth, the promises of God, even in the times when we feel at our weakest? Another way to break the stigma is by doing what we are striving to do here, and that's using whatever influence you possess as a person, whatever influence you possess to create an environment that is accepting and supportive of people who are living with depression, 
anxiety, post-traumatic stress, OCD, bipolar disorder, postpartum depression, ADD, suicidal thoughts, severe grief. If you're dealing with any of these things, the first thing I want you to know is that you are not alone. You're not alone. If you're dealing with something, I did one of the numerous other mental health struggles that I didn't even mention. I want you to know you are not alone. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear that. You are not alone. I want you to know that this is a safe place for you to be vulnerable with God and with us as people that care about you. This is how we break the stigma that has caused so many to live in hiding within the church. Within the church. If we are effective in teaching the promises of God and creating a culture that is accepting and supportive of those who are wrestling with mental health in the church, if we're doing those two things, then there's only one thing left to say, and that is it's time to come out of hiding. It's time to come out of hiding. Living in hiding is not doing you any favors. Trust me, I know. Because isolation is the quiet killer. It really is. You may or may not know that I I struggle with um, depression and crippling anxiety. And uh, I've been very open with my struggle. and, And believe me, it is a daily struggle. In fact, I was struggling with if I should even teach on this subject because it's still such a struggle to this day. And, and uh, so know that I'm coming to you today at, not as a person who has the whole mental battle completely figured out. Um, today I'm very much speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you. So I just want to make that clear. Um, I shared my whole story in volume one of this sermon series, and I think it's still on our podcast somewhere. But um, but it's a deeply personal story of how my struggle affected um, my whole life my, and my whole family. And, and um, in some pretty negative ways. And uh, in retrospect, I've dealt with depression on some level my whole life. But there was a particular event that triggered anxiety in me like I had never, ever felt before. It wasn't just a nervous feeling. Uh, It was more like paralyzing panic and overwhelming dread whenever I had to be around a group of people, which in turn made me a really hard person to be around. And regretfully, my, my family, especially my wife, paid the price for my battle. And they paid it for a long time. And my wife would ask me to go to counseling and, and, and even just see a doctor, you know. And, and I'd be like, no, that's for crazy people. Because I bought into the stigma. 
It got so bad that I'm embarrassed to admit this, but it got so bad that I had mapped out an exact route to get from my office to the church stage. This route would allow me to slip through the church while uh, encountering the least amount of people possible. That's how, that's how bad I was. And, and at home, I would listen to quiet music while kind of just gazing off into space in, in almost like a catatonic like state, either mentally preparing myself for what I had to do that day or trying to regain some composure after something I had already done. And uh, long story short, I did eventually agree to go to counseling and, and, and then I saw a doctor and, and you know what? It helped. I mean, it, it, it helped. And when I began to open up about my struggle, things got better. Not easier, better. They, they got better. That's an important distinction. Things, things got better because not only did I get some tools to deal with my depression and anxiety through counseling, not only did the doctor help me figure out the medical side of things, but very quickly, I found out I wasn't alone in the struggle, which was one of the most important parts of my journey, because the two most powerful words in the English language, I believe, are these, me too, me too. And I think that fact has been proven by the powerful movement of brave women stepping forward and sharing their stories, many of which are very painful. I, I, I said isolation is a quiet killer, and I meant it. Isolation is literally one of the worst, most destructive things you can do when you are struggling with any kind of issue. But the desire feels so natural. It feels really natural. When things get tough, it feels natural to keep your distance from those who care about you. Maybe you feel like you don't want to burden them or that you, you just need some time to figure things out on your own. Or maybe it's your pride and you, and you don't know how to ask for help. Or maybe uh, you're scared that if someone finds out what you're wrestling with, They'll shun you, so you cut them out first. The tendency is to close ourselves off to the people that care about us, especially when we're in turmoil. I fully admit that that is what feels natural to me. When things get tough, I close ranks around me and become very cautious about who I let in, if anybody. But the truth is the only things that isolation produces in us is more pain and more bondage. It feels so right, though, when you're in it. It feels natural, like, like, like a warm blanket you don't quite want to take off yet, you know. But I'm telling you that warm blanket is slowly suffocating you. It's slowly killing you. Becoming vulnerable and sharing our struggles with those who care about us is where we will find freedom. It's time to reject the natural desire of isolating. And it's time to stop hiding 
And it's time to open up about what's really going on with us. Thank you. So the question is, what's the first step in rejecting isolation? And, and, and opening up ourselves and allowing yourself to become vulnerable. I think Jesus gave us the perfect example of how we can combat isolation uh, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26, around verse 36, we find Jesus walking with his disciples to the Mount of Olives, which was just outside of, of Jerusalem. They had just participated in the last Passover meal that they would ever eat together. And Jesus had begun to share with his disciples the path that he was about to walk to the cross. And he told, the, he, he told them, one of you will betray me and many of you will fall away from me. And even though they all denied it, Jesus knew it to be true. So they leave the upper room and head over to the Mount of Olives and Jesus, knowing that the time is rapidly approaching for him to bear the sins of the world on the cross, begins to feel isolated and becomes about as anxious as we ever see him in the scriptures. And, and the way he handles himself is so crucial for us today as we begin our, our own battle against the temptation of isolation and, and, and Matthew 26, 36 through 46. <clears throat> I, want to, I want to read that. Then Jesus went to them, to a, went with them, the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again... He went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The first thing I want to point out about this is, Whatever you are struggling with, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Jesus knows your pain. 
Jesus knows what it feels like to have no one understand. Jesus knows your tears because this passage of scripture says that Jesus was sorrowful and troubled. Even to the point of death, Jesus knows what you are going through. He knows your sorrow. He knows your pain. He's been there and he never asked us to follow him anywhere he hasn't already gone himself. So what does Jesus do with his troubled feelings? He says to the larger group of his disciples, stay here while I go over there and pray. Jesus then takes three of his most trusted friends, James, Peter, and John, with him to the garden to pray. And there in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus begins to open up. Jesus opens up to those he trusts. He says to them, In in verse 38, my soul, sorry, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus opens opens up about what he's feeling and he asks his brothers to keep watch with him. I think this is so important. See, No one is saying that when you are struggling with something, it's a good idea to open up to everybody. Nobody's saying that. But you do need to talk about it with somebody. You need people in your life that will keep watch with you. It doesn't have to be a lot of people, Jesus only had three. And frankly, they did a horrible job. (laughs) But who is it in your life that will keep watch with you? That will listen to you and pray for you and will stand with you in the battle? You need those people in your life that you can look in the eyes And say, my thoughts are spiraling out of control today. All I want to do is pull the covers over my head and forget the world. Will you keep watch with me? Having those people in your life will be a game changer in your fight against isolation, I guarantee you. The next thing he does is Jesus opens up to the Father. He opens up to the Father. Why? Why is it that when isolation creeps in, we don't just isolate from people in our lives, but we also tend to isolate from God too? God should be the easiest one to talk to when we are troubled, but sadly, so many of us want to wait until we've got a better handle on things before we invite God back into the mix. Jesus falls on his face before the Father, uh, repeatedly praying for his heart's desire and telling God all about the feelings he was dealing with and uh, staying current with God and developing a daily relationship with him is so important. Too many times I have run away from God in the times when I needed him most. I have ignored his presence and disregarded his endless love for me because I, I was too busy drowning myself in shame for struggling in the first place. At the end of this account in the garden, Jesus knows what he has to do. 
He knows what he has to do. After going and pouring his heart out to the Father repeatedly, he gains the resolve to face his calling. To walk the path of sin and shame to the cross and restore us to right relationship with God the Father again. I think this blueprint that Jesus models for us in this account of scripture holds the power to break the bonds of isolation. To release you to follow your calling with readiness as Jesus did. To be victorious over the aspects in your life that trigger you into fear. Who are the people in your life that you can turn to in times of trouble and say, keep watch with me? And on the other hand, if someone comes to you, this is really important. On the other hand, if someone comes to you and asks you to keep watch with them, do not follow the disciples' example. Don't be caught sleeping. I'm serious now. Be faithful. Be strong when they are weak. Listen more than you speak. Intercede to the Father on their behalf. Keep watch with them. Be faithful. Not only because someday it may be you who comes to them for help, but because it's the right thing to do. And that's what the family of Christ does for each other. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Be faithful when someone asks you to keep watch with them. Because when you do, that is Christ working in you. You guys okay? You're pretty quiet. You with me? Okay. I don't like it when it gets quiet. <laughs> and I, 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 just as the worship team comes back up, I want to invite... Actually, I just want to say something. I want to say to those that are in hiding right now, dealing with something, whether it be a mental illness or, or a struggle that way or just a different type of struggle, I want to say the time for hiding is over. The time for hiding is over. Come out of hiding. Come back into family. You are not alone. Even if no one else in this room is, know that I am in the struggle with you. And I know that I'm not the only one in this room in the struggle with you. I find myself saying to more and more people that isolation is one of the enemy's most effective tools. Because it keeps you quietly defeated. But by opening up to the ones you trust and opening up to the Father God in prayer about your true feelings, not just what you think he wants to hear, but your true feelings, I believe that can release the enemy's grip of isolation. And I I know it sounds overly simple, but the simple steps are... Sometimes the easiest to miss, 
and the most effective. I want you to think about someone right now, a person or a group that you trust, that you can invite to keep watch with you. I want you to reach out to them today. Don't wait. Don't make excuses like me and my health, my working out. Don't make excuses like that. Reach out to them today. Don't wait. And I would encourage you to start every day of this week. Just try it. Start every day of this week getting current with God. Get up 15 minutes early if you have to. Read some scripture, pray, and just let it out before God. That is the example set by Jesus. It won't feel natural at first. Just like when my boys are hangry and I tell them to eat and they're like, why would I want to do that? It won't feel natural at first. But I promise you, if you do these things, things will get better. Not easier, but better. I want to pray for you guys right now. And I actually want to invite our prayer partners forward. Um, I just feel like I feel like there's some people here that have been struggling in secret for a long time, and they just we we just need to pray. They need to pray with someone. They need to hold somebody's hand. They need to open up and vent. I just, I believe that there's, that some of us here need to do that today. And that'll be the first step of things changing. So I want to pray and then we're going to open it up for, for you to come forward and join one of our prayer partners. Father God. Lord, we, we breathe in deep right now, you're just your Holy Spirit. And we exhale all of the, just the garbage that we've been carrying around. Lord. All the stigma, all the shame. We release it. Father, we come before you with arms open wide. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for our our turning our backs on you when we need you the most, Lord. Help us to draw closer to you in times of trouble. pray any work of the enemy in this place right now, any seeds of doubt would cease in the mighty name of Jesus right now. Lord, I pray that there would be 
bondage that is released, chains that are broken, and freedom grasped in this place right now, all for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.